0: Appreciate that, uh, Tom and Debbie, using your talents for the Lord, and it's a blessing to all of us. Now this time, if you could turn to Judges chapter number 6, Judges chapter 6 in your Bibles, or it will be on the screen here in just a moment. And then once you have found that, if you could uh, go ahead and stand to your feet if you're physically able to. Uh, we want to read the scripture reading this morning, and then get right into the message. Judges chapter 6. And verse number 11. If you'll follow along silently as I read aloud, the Bible says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abrazerite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us, and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him, and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. You sure are a great God. Thank you already for blessing our hearts with the singing, the giving, the fellowship time, Lord, the classes. and all that's been going on. Thank you for the children's ministry and the nursery, the teens meeting right now in other locations. Lord, thank you for those who came in at the 830 service and have already made their way home. Thank you for those who are here. Lord, thank you for, Lord, the faithfulness of your dear people. What a blessing that is. Uh, thank you for being willing to establish the church and give your life for it. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Or may you fill me with your Holy Spirit power. I don't pretend to think I can do it without you. All is vain, the Bible says, unless the Spirit of the Lord come down. And so may you fill me with your Holy Spirit power. Be with those who are watching online this morning. May they know they're cared for and appreciated and loved. I pray you help them. Or thank you for those who are sitting in the pews today. May you clear our minds and thoughts of many other things. And may we just open our hearts to you and let your word penetrate. We sure do love you, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Many years ago, a simple but hard-working man was hired to paint lines on county roads. The boss gave him a big can of paint and a brush and sent him out. At the end of the day, he came to get paid, and he told the boss he got two miles done. And the boss was very impressed. The second day, the painter comes up to him and says, I have a half of a mile done. The boss was a little bit surprised and a little bit disappointed, but he figured he had worked so hard the first day. Maybe he was just tired and needed a little bit of, a, uh, uh, of some rest. So he figured he'd count the balance and, and be good with it. The third day, though, the painter reported to him that he had only done 400 yards. The boss says, that's quite a difference from the first day. The painter said, yes, I know. But you see, sir, it's a lot longer walk back to the paint can now than it was. (laughs) And you know, oftentimes we as humans can be like this man. We can do things our way and our strength and our power. When God says, if you would just do things my way, with my strength and my power, much could be accomplished for the cause of Christ, especially in your life and mine. Well, here we see a gentleman who needed desperately to hear the truth of this story. He is struggling. He's frustrated. He's in the depressed. He's dejected. He's distressed. And he's just barely functioning when God had so much more for him to do. But it took a process. It took a preparation and took a season to get him where God wanted him to be. And oftentimes in our life, we are put through processes. We are put through trials and temptations and testings. We are put through seasons in our life where God's trying to get us to rely on him and allow him to work through us. If you remember, Jael, Barak, and Deborah, God used them to help subdue the, the King Jabin. And uh, of course, Sisera there and uh, the king of Canaan who had oppressed them. The Bible says the Lord uh, prospered them. He he made them profitable. Uh, He prevailed them. He gave them peace. The Bible says the enemies perished from them. And it's interesting when we put God first, He makes us profitable in so many different areas. May not just be financially, but He gives us a life of happiness, a life of joy, a life worth living. But then the land had rest, and the Israelites start to do evil. Why did they do evil, you may ask? Well, the crux, the the Achilles, if you will, that always seemed to get them, was they would worship Baal. See, Israel was, economically, they were more agricultural-minded. Back in those days, you weren't wealthy by the amount of paper you had in your wallet, or the, the chip, or the bank that said you had the money. You were considered wealthy by the hair that you had on cattle (laughs) and pigs and on sheep and on goats and also the grain that you would have. And the more you had in abundance, the more wealthy you were. And because of the agricultural uh, 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 emphasis, if you will, on the children of Israel's wealth, it's interesting that when they would have some difficult seasons or maybe they didn't quite get the crops they wanted, they started kind of getting frustrated at God perhaps and they started turning to Baal. Baal was a God who kind of let them do what they want but he was considered the most powerful of gods. He controlled the storms, he controlled the thunder The thunder, the rain, he can control the lightning. He was the god of fertility, and really, he became a god for whatever these people wanted him to be, and they imagined to be. And so, when maybe they were having a a lean year or a light year, or maybe they didn't feel like God's blessings as much, they slowly started taking their uh, glimpse off God and started focusing on Baal. And because of that, the Bible says, God says, "Okay, you want to lean on Baal to take care of you? Here you go." The Bible says He put him in the hand of the Midianites. And what that means there, anytime you're put under the hand, that simply means the power of them. They're now controlling you. Therefore, instead of God being their leader and in control and their master, now they are serving Baal and they are under the the, the, the harsh hand of the Midianites. The Bible says for seven long years, they deal with this. And so they're faced with a huge problem. The Midianites are not trying to exploit them economic uh, uh exploit them politically, they're trying to exploit them economically. They simply want to take everything that they produce and let the people live and dwell wherever they want. Right about when the crops are ready, right about when the calf's ready to be butchered, the pig's ready to be butchered, they'd swoop in, they'd grab all the grain, they'd grab all the animals, and then the children of Israel had nothing to get them through the winter. For seven long years this happened. So they cried out to God, and who did God send? He sent a prophet. The prophet basically said, "You're remorseful, you're even regretful, but you're not repentant. And until you become repentant, I cannot save you." And while they're going down that journey, God starts preparing a savior. And we kind of left off last two weeks ago that even in us, in our sin debt, and our selfishness, in our flesh, when we had no hope, and we had not turned to him as of yet. God found it necessary to start preparing a savior. The Bible says, but God commanded his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And whether you knew the need or not, God still was willing to prepare a savior for you and me. And that's still true today. Whether you realize it or not, you need a savior. And even though you may not have realized it yet, God has already prepared a way. And I'll be sharing that with you in a few minutes. Well, let's get into the preparing of a Savior as far as the children of Israel this morning. How does God prepare a Savior? Well, first of all, I want us to notice Gideon's recluse, Gideon's recluse. The Bible says in verse number 11, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Aborazite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. What is happening here is Gideon is finding the most unusual way to thresh grain Gill says that Gideon was most likely a stout man and body was a courageous mind. He had bodily strength. He had greatness of, of soul. He could have been a strong, he could have been a, a very capable leader, but he had gotten to the point when he was so frustrated with life. And here's how I want to illustrate this with us. If you can put that slide up about threshing wheat, uh, Colby. What he's doing is totally backwards from what you're supposed to do to thresh wheat. After they'd go through and harvest the wheat with a scythe, the men would usually do that. The ladies would come through and put them in the bundles and tie them. And then the straw of course would use for feed or bedding for the animals. But they take the wheat heads and they have to separate the chaff from the wheat, the, the husk, if you will, from the wheat. And so they would lay it all out there on, on a high grassy knoll and they would have uh, donkeys or, or oxen take these sticks over it and crack all that that up so eventually the seed would come out. They'd collect all the seed, they'd put it in a basket, they'd go to the top of a little knoll where the wind and breeze would come out and they'd throw it in the air and all that chaff would get blown out. And then they would collect all of that seed of course we know jesus's parable how he had to separate the chaff from the grain and and the spiritual application in that but he would take all that grain and then he would he would take it and grind it into flour and they would make meal and food and whatever the case may be but gideon couldn't do it that way because if he did it that way guess who was watching him the midianites and as soon as they saw him out there doing it they would come on in and say thank you very much you did a great job with this give it to us or else we'll kill you, you know. So Gideon goes to a wine press, and I'll show another picture here, actually, but the Colby will there, and you'll see a little round hole, and there's a ladder in it. What they would do is, beneath the three to six inches of topsoil there, there was bedrock, and they would take these picks, and they would chop and chop and hit, and they would make this hole, and as that hole went deeper and deeper, it kind of went out a little bit more, and almost like a teardrop. And that's where they would store, uh, uh, they would try to collect water and store it for irrigation. They'd also, uh, once that, uh, they would, they'd also store grain, uh, 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 uh wine in there to keep it cool. And they would do several things there to kind of keep that. And eventually that, uh, uh, cistern would crack. And you see that in Isaiah and Jeremiah where the cisterns cracked. And, and after that it was really not good for, for holding anything, which you can probably imagine why it would all leak out. Okay. I'll try to help you out this morning. Okay never mind. anyways and, and they would collect all that and once it was broken they would then get down in there and they would use it for a prison cell sometimes they'd use it to uh uh, uh do what gideon was doing he went down in there in the muck and he was trying to beat this grain with a flail trying to get the seed out he's hot he's tired if you've ever been in one of these there's no air movement um, probably the sun was out as we'll see later as the angel lord came to him and was under the shade tree he's beaten that way he's tired his throat's like a cotton ball he, he's sweating he's frustrated with life he's frustrated with his leaders he's frustrated with his people he's frustrated with the looting he's frustrated with his life he's mad he's distressed he's upset he has to do this whole grain thing backwards just so he can get enough food to eat and he's tired of everything he's dealing with Well, what happens? He climbs up out of that cistern with the grain and there's someone sitting there under a tree. But before we get to that, I want us to see the fear of Gideon. The fear of Gideon. He's afraid. He doesn't know what to do. Have you ever been there before? Have you been frustrated? Have you been discouraged? Have you been distressed? Have you just feel like you're in a corner? You feel like your, your, your boss is upset at you. You go home and realize you forgot to pick up the milk at the grocery store. Now your wife's upset at you. you know, on the way home, you, you forgot about going to the store because those blinking lights on your dashboard saying you've got to check engine light, check, check engine light, and basically your car is going to fall apart. You know, And then you see t- low tire pressure, and you hope you can just get home. And then your child's upset at you for whatever reason. You know, you feel, you're, feel, you're feeling the weight coming down. You go to the mailbox and open it up and you see 16 let say, wow, people love me. Bill, Bill, overdue, Bill, Bill. <laughs> you know. It's like, what am I going to do? Gideon's probably at that point. A passenger in a taxi leaned over to ask the driver a question one time, tapped him on the shoulder. And the driver just went crazy, careened off the road, went over the median and stopped inches before hitting a big storefront plate glass window. Man, the passenger was not even as shook up as the driver. He said, sir, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to startle you. The driver says, oh, it's not your fault. This was my first day driving a taxicab." The passenger says, oh, okay. He says, for the last 25 years, I've driven a hearse. Okay, so anyways, we see fear is a very real thing. But then we see God's confidence come to Gideon and verse number 12, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And may I encourage us this morning, if you're a child of God, no matter how frustrated life gets, no matter how hard life gets, no matter how crushing life gets, no matter how discouraging life gets, God is always with you if you're his child. So we see Gideon there is hearing this And we see today that God was trying to communicate to Gideon what he had communicated to Othniel, When God went ahead, went, went, got into Othniel, he smote the enemy in the power of God. When the Spirit of God got upon Ehud, he put to death that hostile King Eglon by strategy and destroyed his army. When God, the Spirit of God had gotten on Barak and then on Jael and then through Deborah's help received the command of the Lord, they delivered the people from the dominion of their foes. And God was trying to come upon Gideon. The problem was Gideon was not ready yet. And maybe that is true for your life and mine. Maybe God is trying to penetrate. God's trying to help you. God's trying to connect with you. God's trying to fill you. God's trying to use you, but you're just not ready yet. So what must you do? Well, here's what Gideon did. Number two, we see, first of all, Gideon's recluse, but second of all, Gideon's reasoning. Gideon's reasoning. This conversation concerns two different understandings. So can you imagine after Gideon heard the Lord is with thee, he's just coming up that ladder, maybe if you will, and he has this sack of grain he's trying to hide and conceal and trying to pretend like he has nothing, you know? It's like the the child who says, I haven't had any cookies as a chocolate chip, you know? know, And here he is, he's coming out trying to conceal this grain and you see this, he's sweating. He, He he. I remember as a kid growing up in the Midwest, we'd get in these grain bins and we'd have to clean them out. It was always the hottest, driest day in the world. And you'd sit there and you'd be shoveling by the entryway and you'd get it in the auger and eventually the time would come. This was before we had those fancy bend sweeps, which now... All of my dad's bends have them there and I'm kind of bitter because, uh, uh, you know, I, I was the bend sweep, you know. And uh, I get to that point and you're about ready to die. The, the corn husk is, is getting in your eyes and the chaff and, and it's just, and can you imagine that's how Gideon feels? And you come out and you look like you're, you're you, you change colors in there, you know. And you come in, you're filthy, you're dirty, you're sweating, you're, you're aggravated. And you see someone maybe under the shade tree. Could you imagine being Gideon? Someone's under the shade tree and he's saying, Wow, thou mighty man of valor, God is with thee. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Gideon, I probably would be a little bit frustrated at that guy. A little bit angry. Are you mocking me? Are you making fun of me? Well, why don't you come in and help me? You take your lemonade and your shade sheet and get out of my life, you know. Gideon does not know this is God. But he knows this man is not making him happy right now. So what does he do? He argues. He argues the absence of God. The Bible says in verse thirteen, and Gideon said unto him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told of us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Barnes says this about Gideon's spirit right then. Extreme bitterness of the national sufferings breaks out in Gideon's language. Elliot says, all this shows that Gideon's gloomy thoughts, which had been darkening his soul, is now coming out. You know, have you ever met someone like that? How you doing today? Awful. And let me tell you why. I'll give you a 16-point outline. You know, never mind. Uh, Hope you do better. I gotta go, you know. But it's amazing how Gideon comes back with right away reasons why God is not with him. The Bible says there, Why then is all this befallen us? Where be all his miracles, which our father has told us. What is that? Jericho, the walls of Jericho, the Red Sea, the ten plagues that God delivered the children of Israel from. Those are all the things he is talking about. The Jordan River. Now the Lord hath forsaken us, he says. He's delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. But what he doesn't acknowledge is that God did not do this for him. The people had brought this upon themselves. 2 Corinthians 15, 52 says, The Lord is with you while you be with him, and if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. The children of Israel had brought this upon them. Jameson said, the very chastisement of God had brought, showed his presence and interest with them. The very fact that God would chastise them showed that he was very near to them. How easy is it to overlook personal accountability and blame our problems on God and others. When in all reality, the first thing we should do is when problems come, look within and confess our sins to God because we're the ones who probably created some of those problems. The Bible says in verse 14, God answers them. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone's going to argue with me, I'll be like, you know what? Fine, do it your way. But God, notice the patience and the love from God. God says, God says, And the the Lord looked upon him in verse 14 and said, go in this thy might and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Gideon says, well, we need Moses. And God says, wait a minute here. You are the salvation I am sending. You are the mighty warrior I am sending. You are the Moses for this generation of my people. I am commissioning you. I'm commanding you. I'm calling you. Isn't it interesting that Moses... Gideon thought Moses was this great deliverer when in all reality, Moses had given God at least five reasons why he couldn't go. In fact, God says, here, I will put this bush on fire. In fact, I will give you a staff that turns into a serpent and then you can pick it. I will give you a powerful staff. I will give you someone to speak for you. And finally, Moses was willing to go. Gideon didn't even need some of those things. And it just goes to show that sometimes you think people are so great, so great Christians, so mature, so amazing, and you think nothing ever phases them. When you, Little do you realize that most great Christians started out where you are feeling right now. And God just kept stretching them and growing them as their faith grew and as they trusted God. Amen. And it's interesting to me today to see Gideon thinks Moses is so great when all reality, he is in the same shoes Moses was in. The difference was Moses finally gave in to God. And I want to encourage you today. You may feel like you're in the same shoes as Gideon is right now. Will you just give it to God and say, God, I'm going to give you what little I have and see what you do with it. And when you do that, God does the amazing, unthinkable things in your life. You say, how do you know that? You can look at any of our pastoral staff, and I'm sure every single one of them will tell you, I I never thought I'd be where I am today, changing lives. But little by little, God worked in their lives. I want to encourage us today to be like Gideon. Be like Moses in Exodus 3.10. Come now therefore and I will send unto thee of Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people. Ezekiel 2 verse 3. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation. Ezekiel knew he could not do it alone. God had to send him. Zechariah the same. I will dwell in the midst of thee, God says. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. The apostles. And Luke chapter 10 verse 3. Jesus enabled them and says, go your way. I think of today, we as Christians in John 20, verse 21. Then Jesus said unto them, peace be unto you. As my father has sent me, even so send I you. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus still wants to send people into his harvest? Jesus wants every single one of us. Because the Bible says, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. How easy it for us to make Gideon's mistakes. We tend to see our troubles as evidence that God has left us. Instead of asking God how he is working in and through them for our good. You see, he promises in Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose oftentimes we are waiting for God to do something to us or for us or wondering why he isn't using someone to bring us help instead of saying, Lord, why don't you remove this problem? But instead we should say, Lord, please make me the person who can handle this problem. God says to Gideon in verse 14, Thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? George Patton says, One of the great generals says, courage is fear holding on a minute longer. When you feel like you're too afraid, like Gideon, the absence of God, God, are you really there? God says, hey, if you'll just go, I will do the rest. We see the inadequacy of Gideon. So Gideon says, well, there's the absence of God. And then he shifts when God is patient with him and kind of works with him. Finally, Gideon says, "Okay, okay, maybe God is here. But I'm inadequate. Isn't that how it normally works? Well, if God's here, if God's with me, then I'll go. Okay, God says, here I am, I'll go. Wait a minute here, God, I'm not adequate. (laughs) God says, well, you don't have to be. You just have to let me work through you. The Bible says in verse 15, And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor and menaced, and I am least in my father's house. Wherefore shall I save Israel? I'm weak economically. I'm weak socially. I'm the weakest member of the weakest clan of a non-prominent Israelite. But God gives him a promise. He says, I don't need you to do be someone Superman. I just need you to use your own abilities combined with the fact that I have sent thee and I will be with thee. The Bible says in verse 16, And thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Gideon is correct to suggest that he cannot save Israel in his own strength. However, combined with the knowing that God has called him to this task and that God is with him in it. David Guzik said this, Less confidence, less self-confidence, more God-confidence. How's your confidence today? Maybe it should be less self and more God-confidence. We see in Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world we're reminded in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when you come to God and say, God, you're absent, and God says, no, I'm not. I'm with you always. And then when you come to God and say, no, I'm inadequate, God says, I will make you perfect in your weakness. I want to make the difference in your life. You may say you're weak, you may say I'm not here, but I'm saying I am here, and I want to do, fill you with my Holy Spirit power, and I want you to do something that no one even thinks possible, not even yourself. And so we see Gideon was willing to realize, I thought this was interesting, just a tidbit, Joash, his father, the name means strengthened by God. Gideon, his name means hacker. Literally hacking the altar in a little bit and hacking people, soldiers. And what God was trying to tell him, when you'll go in my strength and you'll hack, you'll be able to get victory when you hack and I give you my strength. And so, uh, illustration here, I heard this story this week. A mother and her four-year-old daughter were preparing to retire for the night. The child was afraid of the dark, as most kids were. And on this particular occasion, the mom was a little bit fearful. The light went out and the child caught a glimpse of the moon outside the window. Mother, she asked, is the moon God's light? Yes, said the mother. The next question that followed was, will God put out his light and go to sleep? The mother replied, no, my child. God never goes to sleep. Then out of the simplicity of a child's faith, she said something to her mother that even gave her mother reassurance. Well, as long as God is awake, the child said, there is no sense of both of us staying awake. And that is how God is in our life, with our fear, with our inadequacy, with with our thinking he's absent. God is always there. And to this girl, God was not absent because of the moon. What is it in your life that you can point to and say, God is not absent. I know because of this he's done for me, because of that he's done for me. We see Gideon's recluse. We see Gideon's... uh, arguing or his reasoning. And then we see number three, Gideon's realism. Gideon's realism. So Gideon's finally getting to the point where he's saying, okay, you're starting to convince me a little bit, but I have to make sure I know that you really are sent from God or you really are God or you really this message is really true. The verse 17 it says, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. I don't think Gideon was questioning that God was real or the creator or that he was willing to help him. I think he was more testing God and making sure this truly was a message from God. By the way, in 3 John, doesn't it tell us to test, the Spirit test, make sure things are of God. And so I think Gideon was saying, okay, if you're saying that I will go in your might and I'll go as one man, okay, okay. But I want to make sure you really are God because I want to put my neck in the line. I want to make sure you really are going with me. By the way, there's nothing wrong with wanting to make sure God's going to go with you. Many times we seek for a sign. Acts chapter 2 verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, so as you yourselves know... Peter even used that in his message there at Pentecost. Uh, Psalms 86 for 17. This was a verse that when I was on staff here formerly, uh, Brother Mutschler would often uh, bring forward to us his staff when we would spent some time in prayer together. He would, we would, we, he would quote this to us, Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it. And be, be ashamed because thou, Lord, has hope in me and comforted me. And I'll tell you what, I remember as a staff, we'd come here and we'd lay all over the altar, uh, uh, we, we, we'd lay in the office and we would just pray and ask God for a token of good. And every single morning, the next day, we'd come in and every single time there was several tokens of good. Why? Because we want to make sure if we're doing this that God's going to go with us. And so Gideon's doing that, and what does he do? He brings forth a present in verse 19 and 20. He prepares a meal, he prepares some meat, he prepares some bread, he prepares some broth, and the Bible says in verse 21, then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of his staff that was in his hand. So he tells Gideon to put it on this rock, and, uh, I was telling the children on, on Wednesday in chapel, I said, you know, he, 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 he got his ch- number one from Chick-fil-A. No pickle. You don't put pickle on those things, okay? And by the way, if they forget to take, take them off, that little bit of pickle juice, it, 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 it contaminates that whole bun, okay? And, and you just got to put extra Chick-fil-A sauce on it. It's just awful, Okay. But could you imagine that Chick-fil-A sandwich there with the waffle fries? You've got to have the large waffle fries. You're going to get them, okay? And because only two of them can fit in a small, okay? And so you get them there, and then you have your peach shake there, and then you get that chicken noodle soup, and you pour it all over that. Could you imagine being getting it and saying, what are you doing? Why are you pouring that broth on all this food I made you? And the Bible says the angel Lord took his staff and touched it. <laughs> got into flames fire now they say the word fire isn't in the hebrew but what this could potentially mean is lightning came down and and, and consumed that but what's interesting to me is gideon is so worried about god being with him if this is really god that god chooses to do the very thing that baal is supposed to be the god of The God of the storm, God of thunder, God of lightning, God of rain, God of fertility. He's the one who blesses. And God tells Gideon, who's been raised up in a home where many believe that Joash was actually the priest... Because he had built an altar, he had built in the wood, and perhaps he was the Israelite priest who was leading him down the path towards Baal. And because of that, Gideon knew the truth. Because he has the time to talk to the angels and say, "The angel, Lord, hey, let me tell you about all that's happened in Egypt. All these times, guys God came. God's not with us anymore." I believe that Gideon knew part of the truth, but he had been led and influenced in another way by his father, and he was probably at the crossroads. Who's right and who's wrong? Who's really powerful? Is Baal there to really save us? Or is God real? Isn't it sad that they had gotten to a point in their country when they didn't know the difference between God and Baal? And may I say, parents, you may know the difference, but don't ever take for granted that your children, what you do and how you teach them and how you invest in them, it really does matter. Who you are, they may become. You say, well, I don't want that. Well, maybe you need to... Sorry, I wasn't trying. Maybe you need to, to grow. Maybe you need to get closer to the Lord. Maybe they need to see in you. what you're trying to live your life pleasing to the Lord. But Gideon sees Baal basically doing nothing now. And the true God doing what only Baal could do. So what happens? The angel Lord disappears. Of course, what does Gideon say? He says in verse number 22, Alas, O oh Lord God. Gideon realizes this is the Lord because the Bible says in verse 22, I have seen an angel Lord face to face. But the angel Lord said, Peace be unto you, fear not, thou shalt not die. Of course, there's the vernacular there that uh, Moses, of course, said, if, I see the, if you see the face of God, you shall die. And so Gideon's thinking, oh no, I'm going to die. And God says, no, peace, peace, peace be unto you, you're not going to die. And so Gideon builds an altar in verse 24 into the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. And then God, God calls him. God says, okay, you, you asked for a sign. I gave you one. Now it's your turn to actually be put to the test. Don't you love that? God, will you use me? I want you to use me. Okay, well, I'm inadequate. Okay, uh, show me your God. okay. Oh, great. Let me worship you, God. Thank you for doing that. Okay, by the way, I have a job for you. Wait a minute here, you know. And it seems like this job was one of the hardest ones. It was going to test. It was going to stretch Gideon a little bit. The Bible says in verse 25, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God into the top of his rock and in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. This is no simple task. Tearing down the altar of a pagan god Baal was often seen as an attack on the local government supporting that god. Baal was considered the most powerful of the, all the gods, and you do not mess with him. Bishop Paul said, while God calls Gideon valiant, he makes him so. God delights to advance the humble. And that brings me to number four, Gideon's risk, Gideon's risk. The Bible says in verse 27, Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Gideon took a great risk by following God's higher law. But you know what's interesting? Gideon also failed miserably. He passed the test, but he got like a D, you know. You say, what are you talking about? Well, Gideon was told to go by himself. And Gideon went by night, so no one would know. He wasn't willing to take a stand in front of God and everyone. He wanted to do it secretly. Now, you may be here today saying, Gideon, what's wrong with you? But you know what I learned from this? is that Gideon's a lot, a lot like you and me. And God will take even the weakest faith and do something great with it. So, well, how do you know God can bless weak faith? Because Gideon was put into the hall of faith in Hebrews eleven thirty-two, 32. And what shall I more say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, who through faith subdued kingdoms, here's a key phrase, wrought righteousness. You see, until The idols, until the false gods were dealt with, God was never going to bring victory to these people. And so Gideon was willing to, even though it was weak faith, he was willing to deal and bring righteousness back to the children of Israel. God is essentially being told here, Gideon is essentially being told here, to make God the Lord of every area of his life. Hudson Taylor says, Unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. And then we see not only Gideon's risk, but God's reward. Gideon begins to ally his strength with God's presence in verse 27, and did as the Lord had said unto him. Gideon no longer thinks God has abandoned his people to oppression, but that he is with his people to bring peace as they worship him. He had to replace a false god. And replace it with the true altar to the true God. Gideon must lead by example if these people were ever going to follow him. And may I encourage you today, if you're a leader, may you lead by the right example. People are watching you. What you do matters. So this brings us as we wrap things up in verse 27, did as the Lord had said unto him. We see through this story that God is very strong. He strengthens people. We also see that redemption will not come through the merit of this man. Gideon cannot do it alone. Even his ten servants can't do it with him. Even his family isn't enough. Gideon can only do it through the saving grace of God. But may I say this morning, just as the children of Israel's sin brought unprofitableness and everything good got seeped from them from the Midianites, everything good, everything they'd worked so hard for had been taken from him. We know today that sin will do the same thing for you and me. Sin has made you and me very unprofitable. And it tries to seep everything good out of our life. Isaiah 53 verse 6, it shows us that that even gives us a debt that we cannot pay. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you realize this morning that the frustration of your sin, the emptiness of your sin, The flesh, the world of the flesh is seeping and trying to get everything good out of you and we've served that way too long and that iniquity is so heavy, it has a penalty for it. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The payment for your sin and mine is just like the children of Israel. It has seeked everything profitable from us and that payment is death and hell. It leaves us with nothing to look forward to. It leaves us with a huge debt to pay that None of us can do unless we go to hell to do it. But what did Jesus Christ do? God said, hey, years later, I'm going to rise up another Savior. But instead of sending a prepared man to attack the sin, the selfishness, and Satan, which has hindered and doomed all of mankind, God chose to do the saving of the whole world by himself through his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible says that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. While you and I were sinning, Christ died for us. Do you realize this morning that sin has made you unprofitable and sin is sending you to hell? But unless you're willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you you have no hope. But Jesus was willing to go to the cross for you and me. He was willing to shed his blood. He was willing to redeem your sin and mine. And if we'll just simply put our faith and trust in him, repent of our way of thinking, and invite him into our life, we can know for sure we're going to heaven. What about you this morning? Do you believe that? Do you realize Jesus would do that for you? He wants to do it today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm reminded of the song, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone To wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, because Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. How many here this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed? I I hope we can try to stay seated if we can. and, And let's just try to focus on this time. If there's someone here today who would say, Pastor Justin, I realize today that I have a debt that I cannot pay, that's sin, and that's keeping me from Jesus Christ. Pastor Justin, I know I can't pay for that sin because unless I go to hell, and I don't want to go there. I want Jesus Christ. I realize it's not my good works. It's not going to church. It's not doing good things that can get me to heaven. There's a great chasm. It won't fill the void. Only the cross of Jesus Christ makes uh, the bridge of the connection. And I realized this morning that I want Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want him in my heart. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I will not embarrass anyone. But I do want to give you that opportunity this morning. Maybe you're on the main floor. Maybe you're in the balcony. You would say, Pastor Justin, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Will you pray for me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would say, Pastor Justin, that's me. That's me. Will you pray for me? Maybe to my right, that's you. Maybe in the middle. Maybe to my left. Maybe up in the balcony. Anybody this morning? Say, Pastor Justin, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Maybe you say, you know what? I know for sure I'm going to heaven, Pastor Justin. But honestly... I'm facing some troubles, and I've been looking them at problems that need to be removed, when instead I should be looking at them as possible ways for God to change and grow me. Pastor Justin, will you pray for me that I will look at problems as an opportunity to grow me and to help me instead of trying to change them? Will you pray with me as I trust God through these things? If that's you, will you slip up your hand this morning? I want to pray for you. God bless you. I see those hands. Maybe there's someone this morning that would say, I know I'm saved. I understand my troubles are there to help me, but maybe there's some false gods or some sin in my life that are demanding that I worship them alongside the one true God. And I got convicted this morning that I've been kind of trying to do both and God's touched my heart. I want to just solely worship him and him alone and not be distracted by the false quote-unquote gods of the flesh, the world and the devil that are coming at me. The, the God of entertainment, maybe. The God of, uh, of of acceptance. The God of importance. The God of, of of power. Instead, I want to just solely submit to God. Gosh, just will you pray for me this morning? If that's you, will lift up your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you. I see those hands. Last but not least, maybe you would be there today and you'd say, there's parts of my life that I need to ask God to point me to his son so I can trust more fully in his promises. Maybe you're struggling in your faith a little bit. You know for sure you're going to heaven, but you're having a hard time trusting on the promises of God and that they're just as real today as they were for Gideon. And you say, Pastor Justin, will you pray for me as I, I, God will help me in that area. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? Lord, you see the hands, you know the hearts. Lord, I pray you'll be with these dear people. I hope they know they're loved and appreciated. in this message much time, much effort got put into it. But at the end of the day, it does no good unless we let it penetrate, we let it work. And if you touch their heart today, or as we have our invitation, may you inspire some to come forward. Or maybe there's some that need to pray with a pastor. Maybe there's someone that needs to take that next step and for baptism or church membership, or maybe uh, they just uh, have a spiritual uh, goal they're, they're looking to do, or maybe they're just... They just, they just need to come to you. May you help them in this area as they make decisions today. I know there's other ways they can apply this message in the three that I brought out. But Lord, if there's someone that needs, needs you, may they come to you this morning. We sure do love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet. The piano's going to play. The altar's open. If God's touched your heart this morning, maybe you'd like to come forward and join those who've already come. Maybe there's some this morning that just need to stay in your pew, and that's fine. Maybe there's someone near you that you'd say, you know, I need to pray for that person. Lord, put them on my heart. Maybe there's someone today that's facing troubles. Will you look at them as possible ways for God to change you instead of problems? Maybe you're facing some false gods, little gods in your life, some, some idols, some things that are demanding you worship them. And God says, no, no, I want you to worship me and me alone. Maybe there's parts of your life that you need to ask God to point you to His son so that your faith can grow and you can trust more fully on his promises from his word. Maybe there's some this morning that need to follow Lord in baptism or join in the church. This is a great time. I invite you to spend some time with God this morning and talk with Him. Maybe they're in your pew, but spend some time with God. Pray for those maybe who God's working in their heart this morning as we close today. I'll show you, you maybe seated. I hope you know. We're glad you're here and you're loved and appreciated. And if this is your first time today, we really would like to connect with you, maybe your second or third time. I hope you'll allow our staff back there to be able to give you a, a gift card and just be able to talk to you for a few minutes. Um, And uh, thank you for being here today. I hope you know that. Uh, You're loved. God loves you. This pastor loves you. Our church staff loves you. We spent several minutes uh, today, this week in our staff meeting, just praying and and talking about different faces that we haven't seen in a while, just because we care. We want you to know we we love you. And at this time, we're going to show a video of a few upcoming events. And I hope you'll be able to uh, get some more information about these things, and we'll be dismissed. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's service was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for a powerful evening service with our Associate Pastor, Chris Vestal. Our Level Up Teaching and Training modules will be held on Sunday night, January 29th, during the 5 p.m. service. Come and choose two modules from the lineup, including topics like how to help the hurting, balance ministry and home, how to get plugged into ministry, how do I get kids to listen, and how to connect with someone at the door. Don't miss a special time of training with something for every Christian servant. GVCA registration for next school year will be opening to Grandview members and current school families on Monday, February 13th. After three weeks, registration will be open to the public, so be sure to get your registration in as soon as possible. Mark your calendars for the Churchwide Outreach Saturday, February 4th at 10.15 a.m. Join us for a delicious breakfast and an opportunity to share your faith in our community. For the Best Years Club, we are having a luncheon together at Old Spaghetti Factory tomorrow morning at 12 for lunch. I hope to see you there. For the Teachers of the Word, a brand new class getting started, I want you to know that on the information counter, there are some cards you can pick up that tell you about the class and then also show you where we're meeting. And we are all going through the continue book. Every person will get a brand new book. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you, and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon, and we will see you tonight at 5. Well, God bless you. Have a great, great day. We'll see you tonight. You're dismissed.